Father in heaven, Lord, now we pray that your spirit uh, will be with us, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will prepare our hearts for this service and for our service. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes things are more memorable if they happen in the context of a strange juxtaposition. And we're going to see that in our text today, so let's get straight to it. John chapter 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're going to spend a little time today looking at Jesus' relational hub. You know, we've been doing that each week, and we've been looking at different ones. And now, as I say that, probably you're thinking in your mind, well, what are you talking about? Everybody is connected with Jesus. Okay, yes, I concede your point. But I want to back your point up just slightly to the reality of when Jesus was incarnate on the earth. One of the realities about Jesus leaving behind divinity and coming and being born as a human was that in his time on earth, he accepted the reality of being in the flesh. And one of the realities of being in the the flesh is that you're confined in space and limited in your interactions by proximity. Jesus was not able to be in a conversation with someone in Jerusalem when he was in Capernaum. So there was a literal physical limitation. But this is the reason that Jesus later on would make this statement in John chapter 16, verse 7 to the disciples. He said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. He said, I'm going away. I'm going back to the Father. And they didn't like that, but he said, no, this is for the good. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, so here's the reality, because Jesus took flesh and became one of us, it was essential that He return to the Father and send the Holy Spirit so that we could all again be a direct link to Jesus' relational hub, because through the Spirit, Jesus is able to be in relationship with every one of us at the same time. But while He was here in the flesh, He was limited in that space around him. So I want to go back to this passage here. John chapter 13, verse 1, the last part, and I want you to note this language because it's very close to what we've been saying here. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So I want to show you real quick here, Jesus' relational hub. These are the people he loved. These are the ones that were close to him. So we know that there were the 12. We hear them talked about a lot. We also know from various places that there was a group of women that traveled with them, and, and Luke mentions that they supplied for the needs of Jesus and the disciples. We also know there were other followers. Um, for example, we get to the book of Acts, and it talks about we need to choose somebody who was here from the beginning. So apparently there were others who weren't part of the 12 that were actually a part of the group the whole time. So we know that, and we also know that Jesus was always in communication with the Father. So this is a, 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 an estimation of, of Jesus' primary relational hub. But now, for this passage, for John chapter 13, we're going to get a little more specialized here. So John 13, for the hub for John 13, that's the next one here. Go ahead, Patty, show us that next one. There we go. 
we're going to hear about Peter, we're going to hear about Judas, and then we're also going to hear that the, the 12 were there. Now, it's, it's very likely there were some others there as well, but it's not specifically stated, so we're not going to take a position on whether or not that was true. We're just going to say that the rest of the 12 and anybody else that was there all kind of get included into one block in this particular story in John 13. So John 13, verse 2, we read these words. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. All right, so now let's take a look at this hub again. So there's another player, not one that wants to be in relationship with Jesus, who's come into the picture and is impacting the heart of Judas and is affecting Judas's relationship with Jesus. Jesus is still reaching out to Judas in the same way, but Judas's response is changing. Now, verse 3, is there anybody else in this picture right now? Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So let's go back to the picture. Somebody else is at play in this night, and that's the Father. And the Father has given over all authority to Jesus. So that's the power from the Father to Jesus. All right. So because of that special power, verse 3 tells us that, that all Jesus has been given authority over everything. So because he's received this special power, because now all things are under his power, what did Jesus do next? Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I want you just to imagine for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you just became all-powerful. What is the first thing you're going to do? I'll bet wash the feet of the people in your relational hub is not high on your list, is it? It might not even be on your list at all. But I suppose that's because Jesus really isn't much like us, is he? Or maybe better, because we aren't really like Jesus, are we? Would you like to be more like Jesus? So let's go back to the relational hub here. So, so Jesus is aware that he has all power and authority. So the very first thing he does according to the text, is he gets up from the table and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, we're going to get specifically to Judas and to Peter. We already talked a little bit about Judas, but we're going to get to Peter in a second. But seemingly, Jesus got up and started washing disciples' feet, and Peter was not one of the first ones. So he starts doing it. So, so we're not sure what the other disciples thought of this, so we're going to kind of give them a, a confused line coming back. Jesus is reaching out to them. Verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, so back to our hub here. Peter's gotten a little weird on this one. This is too far. 
Now, don't be angry at Peter because, in fact, it is because of his high esteem of Jesus that he's uncomfortable with Jesus washing his feet. This does not seem to Peter like the appropriate use of power. This is not what the powerful one should do. And I have to wonder in that moment how that played out as the story went on. So we go on here. Peter's not going to allow Jesus to debase himself in this way. That, that would be wrong, and that's understandable to our way of thinking. But verse 8, the last part, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In a sense, he's trying to make it better because it would just be kind of debasing to wash my feet. But if, if you washed all of me, it'd be like a baptism and that would be okay, right? But Jesus says those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So now let's go back to this diagram. So, so somewhere in the course of this evening, Judas is going to finally make his break. He's going to finally say, that's it. I'm going to the chief priest. And I have to wonder if the foot washing didn't play a part in that. If he didn't think this Jesus just doesn't get it. But at the same time, I have to wonder if this event didn't also begin to set Peter on a road that would lead to his failure later that night where he would deny the Lord three times. Because it seems as though Jesus is not turning out to be what Peter expected. He just doesn't seem to know how to use power. And you get to the garden, and there is a conflict in the garden. Peter is ready to use power, right? He immediately draws his sword and strikes the high priest's servant. Jesus says, put away your sword. And this leaves Peter confused. And I believe it is through this confusion that the devil got in to Peter's mind. And that led to his denial. When Jesus doesn't turn out the way you expect, watch out, because the devil can use that as an entrance. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I'll bet after Jesus got done washing everybody's feet that it was pretty quiet in that room with all of the disciples staring at him, not sure if they're impressed with Jesus or disappointed in him or what they think at all because they've never seen anything like this. What were they supposed to think? What did it all mean? Verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And I imagine they were all shouting silently in their minds, no, I have no idea what you just did. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That's the big moment, right? Boom, mic drop right there. Everybody's jaw just went, what? 
And with this one act, Jesus demonstrated for all time the purpose of power in the kingdom of God. In case you missed it, I'll spell it out. All authority is given to Jesus, therefore he used his power to serve the ones he loved. The conclusion, the purpose of power in the kingdom of God is to enable us to serve the ones we love. That's what power's for. Now that service can take lots of forms. The power to care for the ones we love. The power to provide for the ones we love. That's what we use our power for, to make provision. The power to protect the ones we love. The power to instruct the ones we love. The power to support. The power to rebuke the ones we love. We talked about that last Sabbath, didn't we? The power to be a companion to the ones we love. But here's some things that aren't on the list of what power in the kingdom of God is for. This is not on the list. Power in the kingdom of God is not for the purpose of controlling other people. That's the wrong use. Power is not for self-service, to get everyone to do what you want them to do for you. That is not what power in the kingdom of God is for. Power in the kingdom of God is not for making demands that everyone must obey. Power in the kingdom of God is not for coercing others. None of these things. Jesus didn't do these things. Jesus was all-powerful. But this is what he had to say about power and about himself. Mark 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the implications of this are staggering. So I want you to look around you. We've done this each week. We've taken a minute to do it. Start with the people right next to you. Take a look at them. Take a look. It's going to be relevant in a second. And now look beyond them. Look beyond them around this room because these are the people you love. The purpose of the power God has given you. And make no mistake, God has put kingdom power in all his people. The purpose of the power God has given you is so that you can serve the ones you love. You are to use your power to serve everyone in your relational hub. That's what kingdom power is for. So who are the ones in your relational hub? Well, your relational hub is filled with anyone God has put there. Family, friends, church family, work colleagues, employees, customers, bosses, Anyone impacted by your life in any way is in your relational hub, even if they only come through for a moment. For example, a delivery person who drops something off, you have kingdom power to bless their life. A store clerk, 
the family that sets up beside you at the beach, they've entered your relational hub for a moment, haven't they? The crazy person who just cut you off in traffic, they very much entered your relational hub for a moment. John 13, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus chose the craziest juxtaposition he could come up with. The all-powerful Jesus proving his power by washing the disciples' feet. Kind of like having balloons at a communion service, right? But it makes the point well enough, right? Do you call Jesus Lord? If you do, then listen to these words. Verse 16, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And while they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he'll silently rise. Their Savior servant must show them how, through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. And the call is to community, the impoverished power that sets the soul free in humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel. In any ordinary place, on any ordinary day, the parable can live again when one will kneel and one will yield. Our Savior servant has shown us how, through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel, the space between ourselves sometimes is more than the distance between the stars. By the fragile bridge of the servant's bow, we take up the basin and the towel because the call is to community. The impoverished power that sets the soul free in humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel. Jesus didn't just wash our feet. And the challenge to us goes beyond a symbolic act. The challenge here is not that maybe once a quarter you would wash someone's feet. Now, in truth, we haven't even been doing that because it's so hard to find space and time to do it, and we've got classes in all the places, but we're working on that, and we're trying to make a change in that, and we're trying to bring the foot washing service back to the communion service here at church. And we did a little experiment with it today. We set things up out there in the atrium and gave you a chance, and the next time we do it at the service, we're going to go a little bigger with it than that. So be ready for that. We're bringing it back. But it's not just about that symbolic act. That act that Jesus did was symbolic of what He was about to do for them. Here's the greater calling. Philippians 2, verse 5. 
in your relationships with one another, in other words, for all the people in your relational hub, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This table that is set before us represents Jesus, the one who as a servant gave his life for us that we might through his death gain eternal life. It isn't just the disciples who long ago received Jesus' service at the table. It's not just them. For we too have been invited to that same table today. And this fact is nothing to take lightly. Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus said, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So understand this. Jesus has invited you, Jesus has invited me to the table, and He is the one who serves. Do you see how much Jesus has valued you? He put you at the table, and He made Himself the servant. This is powerful, right? But that's what you need to understand. This is what power in the kingdom of God is all about. You use your power to serve the ones you love. It's crazy. It's crazy like balloons at communion. But today we celebrate communion complete with solemn reflection, but also with celebratory rejoicing. Today we come to the table. Together we come to the table with the people we love. We come to the table thanking Jesus for His service to us. I'm glad you're here today and able to participate in this most important service. As Adventists, we, we celebrate an open communion that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are invited to participate in. In a few minutes, the deacons will come and, and will pass around the emblems. The emblem of the bread, which represents the body of Jesus and the cup which represents Jesus' blood. In a few minutes, I will read the passages related to that, and then I will kneel here and pray. You're welcome to remain seated. And then the deacons will come, and they will begin to pass out to you these emblems for you to receive. At that time, please take both the bread and the cup. 
but wait, hold them together so that we can receive them together when everyone has been served. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says these words, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've heard Your invitation to the table. We see what You did with Your power. You became all-powerful. You were all-powerful. And You showed us what power is for by washing the feet of Your disciples. And then You said to us, what I have done, You now go and do. Use Your power to love each other. Lord, that's just not what we use power for. And so we need this service to remind us that the one who is truly great is the one who gave his life in service for us all. Lord, this service reminds us the bread represents your body broken for us. We pray right now your Spirit's blessing on the bread that it will be for us in figure the true body of Christ within us, living, giving us strength, teaching us how to serve. And Lord, this cup represents Your blood, Your precious blood spilled that our sins would be forgiven. Lord, in figure, let this cup today remind us that by the blood of Jesus our sins are taken away and eternal life is given to us. Let Your Spirit's blessing be upon the cup as well. And Lord, come and speak to us in this time the message that I can't say because only the Spirit knows the deepest things of our hearts. What do we need release from? How can we serve each other? Lord, let this be a moment where Your Spirit speaks clearly to our hearts, each one. Jesus, we've become part of Your relational hub. Now speak to us in this service. In Your name we pray. Amen.